Last time on Video Night. I'm sorry about your ripped up butt. I'm growing bigger. No, not funny. Stop. <laughs> and now. Video Night. Hello, Michael. <laughs> hey, so do you remember earlier this year, you listeners, I'm asking you and Michael, that we did this big bug episode? Do you remember that? You can actually talk, Michael. <laughs> this is stupid. I can't even do it right. I don't know how that little kid did it. <laughs> All right, forget it. Hi, everybody. So I'm misbehaving. As usual. <laughs> you remember that, though, right? Well, yes, of course. Right. I mean, your memory is that of a gnat, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm joking. I dropped a lot of acid, kids. I don't know where this brain's going. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no. We left out one of the better Big Bug movies. For what reason? We just left it out. Well, you know, you and I like to do the franchise frenzies from time to time. We also mentioned Tremors because, you know, that's a big, long franchise. And let's just say uh, it's continuing for some reason. But, you know, that's a Big Bug. <laughs> franchise and of course the first one i adore yeah the sequels i could give or take you know yeah. some that are good some are bad right. uh mimic was another one where we kind of mentioned it but it seemed like it might be a franchise frenzy and then uh we saw the opportunity to get the blu-ray pack for like dirt cheap so you know we both watched it yeah it was time it's the director's cut of mimic strickler's disease came to new york like a thief in the night it was deadly, threatening to steal an entire generation of our children from before our eyes. Since it has proven to be virtually immune to chemical control, we had to find a new avenue of attack. We recombined DNA to create a biological counteragent. We call it the Judas Breed. Now, the cure they created has taken on a life of its own. So you think your little Frankenstein's got the better of you? They all died in the lab. But you let them out. Evolution is a way of keeping things alive. Sometimes an insect will evolve to mimic its predator. A fly can look like a spider. A caterpillar can look like a snake. They are breeding. Whatever it becomes, it destroys. Peter, these are lungs. Yesterday, it became human. If that thing has been around, how come nobody's ever seen it? I think we have. You see the size of that thing? We changed its DNA. Mira Sorvino. Jeremy Northam, Josh Brolin, Charles Dutton, Giancarlo Giannini, F. Murray Abraham, Mimic. Hey, so the, the Blu-ray comes with three movies. Mimic, the director's cut, Mimic 2, I forget what that's called, and Mimic 3, Sentinel. Okay, yeah, I don't think there is a sub to Mimic 2. Okay, well, Mimic, that came out in 1997, when CG animation was mostly problematic when integrated with practical effects. So what way to do that best is to hide it in the darkness, which is how Mimic handled most of the CG. Yeah, I think you, you have to find something to block it out, either like water or fog, smoke, darkness. Some movies made the mistake, you know, of putting it in straight light. You know, and not all these movies had the budget of, like, say, Jurassic Park or pull it off. Even if they you had know, the movies... huge budget, like The Mummy 2, every bit of CG, oh, and yeah. I'm not even, I'm talking about compositing, I'm talking about The Rock as Scorpion King, any CG in that movie was garbage. Well, Steven Summers is notorious for that, though, because he's always making these movies for, like, $150 million, but have 250 million dollars worth of effect shots so he fits them all in but they all look terrible look at van helsing look at gi joe as much as i love gi joe the shots in that look like look terrible 
And that was in 2009 when there's no excuse. Right. So I guess it's it's all who's wielding the brush or being the director, as it were. Now here, yeah. it's... Well, also, I think a lot of it's design work, too. Look at Relic. Relic, I, I enjoy Relic. It's not a fantastic movie, but it's a fine, you know, afternoon time waster. But there's sequences in that, and that was a much bigger budget movie that do not look right. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I don't... I think it's part of the creature design is that it just doesn't fit. Whereas Mimic, whoever, who did the design work on this? Was this, this wasn't Weta, right? I, I really, I don't think they were around, but I don't really don't know who did the design work for Mimic. But I know that it's from a short story. It's not an original piece of writing, but it is an original horror movie in that it wasn't initially going to be part of a franchise at all. And it's directed by Guillermo del Toro after he did Kronos. Yeah, this is before he really became mainstream. You know, this is before Blade 2, this is before Hellboy. This is when he was still kind of a niche director. And of course, he's gone back and forth with those movies too. He'll do a studio film, he'll do a movie for himself. Okay, so Kronos set him up as an international director to keep your eye on because it had a very interesting slant on vampirism and it had a lot of practical effects. It had this weird marble white skin thing that he did, which is really fantastic looking, but it's also a very boring film. It's why Criterion picked it up. Apparently, they only pick up boring movies. I jest. I mean, they, 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 it's really rare when they have a movie that I get excited for. Whenever they have one of those tour things, they're like, oh, we got the celebrity come pick movies out of the closet. If they brought me in, I'd be like, eh. <laughs> is there another room? Do you have the cool stuff? Is, where's the shop factory? Where's that at? You'd just be picking, <laughs> picking up Repo Man. I'll just yeah, take 15 and Repo Man. The Wes Anderson films, that's about it. Give me, give me Bottle Rocket and Repo Man. Uh, can I have like five of each? So then Mimic comes along, and of course, this is. Miramax Dimension. Well, it's actually just Miramax, isn't it? The follow-ups no, are it's Dimension. dimension. D- no, it was Dimension's first, like, hey, we're a big deal now because of Scream. Mm. This was definitely Dimension. I saw this in the theater, and I remember that vividly. I purposely, this sounds so stupid now that I say it as a grown-up, purposely would go out and hunt down every Dimension movie, and every time one would come into theaters, I would go see it. For some reason, I was fascinated by the studio. I have seen nearly every single Dimension movie after, like, 1994 in the theater. Any one that you could, right? Because there's Dimension Extreme, and you can't see any of those in the theater. No, but, you know, before Disney kicked their asses out, you know, that's when I was really watching a lot of Dimension stuff. Well, you say about companies that you keep your eye on because they tend to resonate with you. Warner Brothers used to do that with me, and I started noticing that when Batman came out, right? Oh, did you watch Chill Factor in the theaters? (laughs) No. No, no, no. But I always just, I didn't obsess about anything, by the way. I just noticed certain film studios tend to make movies that I like, right? So I'd be like, yeah, Warner Brothers, cool logo. Now, now Warner Brothers is flipped. Like, they don't make movies I like anymore. It's pretty pathetic. There's some studios out there who I don't even understand how they're still in business. Fox, Paramount, and Warner Brothers. It seems like they're just either offering garbage or movies that you instantly forget. But the smaller studios, like Artisan at, at one point which ended up becoming Lionsgate. Both of them, I was like, well, Artisan, that's interesting. This little tiny company that put out Blair Witch. I like Blair Witch, so I started paying attention to what else they put out, and it was very hit or miss. But they also put out Cube, which I love, so um, more than than now. But then Lionsgate, as the company, they started being the one to look for. And now they're also kind of plateaued into this mediocrity. Like, it's way, oh, way yeah, hit I- or miss. 
if it wasn't for Summit Pictures, I would assume that Lionsgate would be done because it seems like every movie that comes out from Lionsgate costs $100 million and makes 12. And it's Summit seems to be propping them up. But I think it's funny, if you look at the roots of a lot of these smaller studios, they're pickups from other failed studios. L uh, Lionsgate, before that it was Artisan, before that it was Live, before that it was Vestron and Lightning and New Century Vista or whatever, I think that's what it's called. They all went bankrupt and sold whatever films they had left over and their catalogs to IVE, which then became live. Yeah, so that, that studio is crazy. It, it's had so many different identities. Like, I say Warner Brothers is terrible, but if Legendary is smacked in front of that, that's fine. I'm going to be cool with that. Well, that's the way it was with a lot of those sub-companies in the 90s. Arnon Milchin's company, Regency, used to make excellent Warner Brothers pictures, but they would just do all these pickup deals from everybody else, and they're like, oof, if I don't see that big red R, uh, or that big blue R, I'm not going to probably like this movie. <laughs> right, so Dimension got that going for a while, and it was kind of this start, right? Mid-90s. Yeah, well, they were Miramax until, like, I think it was 1990 when New World Pictures went bankrupt. And they sold their catalog to one company, I think it was Star Maker, which became Anchor Bay. And then they sold the sequel rights off to various studios. They sold Warlock, the whole film, Warlock, and its sequel rights to Lionsgate. Or, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 it wasn't live. It was uh, Vidmark. There you go. Vidmark there you and go. Trimark. Remember, those got absorbed too. <laughs> so, uh, but then they sold off Hellraiser and Children of the Corn sequels to the Miramax studio. And they're like, well, we can't really fit this in with our art house kind of stuff. So, you know, then they split it off into Dimension. And, and that, there, there you go. Those are your first two sequels. And then they did pickup deals from Davis. So they did Fortress and Gunmen and, and uh, Highlander. And that was kind of like their bread and butter. These really tiny nothing movies they'd pick up for like a million or two dollars. They're more international interest. But it was Scream that really cemented things for them. I mean, they had a couple minor hits. Prophecy, of course, which is a, a great movie. But Scream gave them money, like serious money to spend. So Miramax decided, you know, let's, let's up our game. Let's, let's start spending it on like special effects movies. So that's why Mimic, I think, is that first turn in their studio to something, uh, you know, much more than just a tiny genre now, uh, studio. Now, the behind the scenes of this, I don't know too much about it, but I do know this film is notorious for bad blood between Guillermo del Toro and the Weinsteins, who is Miramax. Oh, those guys, those guys don't burn bridges. They nuke them. Yeah, so he could not get his director's cut, which I think he was promised or something, and then finally he handed it over and they start trimming it and taking out anything of depth and gravitas and it just becomes kind of like a dark monster in the hallway slasher movie. I saw it in the theater. You know, yeah, so did I. And I liked it, but I didn't know anything about the director's cut at that time. No, this is before, you know, you could find this kind of stuff all over the internet. Uh, you know, before you knew that, oh, wait, there's a whole different version of Highlander 3? <laughs> you know, oh, M Men of War got cut up and, and sent straight to video? I don't understand this thing. Why is it that they would uh, cut a movie up and then go, you know what, let's just release it on like 100 screens or let's just dump it on video. What was the point of cutting it? Why'd you spend that money? Just, just release it in its original form then. Yeah, if you're not going to, like, if there's something super offensive in it, which there isn't in this, then maybe cut that thing out. Like, super offensive, I mean. Yeah, horrible. but they're always like, 
What, what I don't like about them, besides the new <laughs> right. about them, is the fact that they have, I, they, they feel like the Donald Trump of movie making. They have no attention span. They're impatient. They're filled with rage. And like, cut, 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 cut. Anything that has any sort of depth or character, I just want the fancy, shiny stuff. Well, you know? it's not so just that. He said back when they were doing Snowpiercer, uh, people in Oklahoma aren't going to sit around for this. So he insisted on super cutting Snowpiercer down to a, an hour and a half, which you can't, yeah, you can't I, do. And they they I blame this do. on Roger Corman, really. I blame it on Roger Corman, who was the guy who was like, yeah, I played in New York and L.A., but we got to sell it to the rest of the country because of the drive-in. So we got to change the post, we got to change the name, we got to put more of this in, put more of that in. You know, you have to have this beat everything. And that's that's the problem, is that mindset of the 70s went through all the way, you know, till now. Yeah. I think only lately, like A24 and... Oh, um, A24 is an... Oh, See, we're starting to notice the things that in the year 2005, Lionsgate was like the bomb. That was great. And then four or five years later, they just stopped being great. And now somebody's picked it up and it's A24. Yeah. But they're a lot more artfully slanted, yet at the same time, genre, which is confusing because genre is not necessarily really artful, especially when you go revisit a lot of the stuff. I'm not talking about what goes into making it. I'm just talking about what's ending up on the screen. Right. What I feel like is a lot of the companies say that they're going to be high level like A24 is now, mm-hmm. but it seems like they always seem to go back to the plate. You know, oh, well, let's go, uh, let's have some more of that Empire Pictures, full moon, cut, you know, let's make it really low budget, let's make it really fast and cheap, you know, and it's like, no, don't. Well, well now... a movie shot in Budapest. <laughs> right, but now you can actually do really cheap with high quality mise-en-scene. The look of the film can still be really cool, but shot on the cheap because of the really good digital cameras and not like turn yeah, the of the red. century you know so that's good and i hope a24 keeps going that way because miramax with their dimension label they ended up just being schlock yeah for the most part they hardly put out anything that was like okay this is a change in the genre which is why i avoided the sequels to mimic but mimic hey everybody it's a big bug movie it's about man-sized bugs it's kind of like a version of blue monkey really but without a plant inexplicably causing the mayhem it's more about it kind of rips off alien doesn't it sometimes at the very end of it a big old nest of eggs you know what's funny is the director's cut is so wildly different i kept sitting there for like the first hour going i don't remember any of this Mm. and i just watched the movie a couple years ago i was like i don't remember any of this or this or this i feel like this is a whole new movie well, there's a bug plague, regular sized roaches. Um, so Mimic is the sequel to Joe's Apartment. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, uh, actually, basically. <laughs> Joe's Apartment runs amok. Those those roaches run amok and they cause a bunch of diseases. And then <laughs> Joe, Joe is dead and they want revenge. Right. They cause a disease that uh, affects kids' respiratory system. And then the scientists come in, which actually was like a really long sequence in this director's cut where he's explaining to her why they need her. And she agrees. And so they play God. And they build a roach that will die in one generation, but it will spread its genes so that all the other offspring will just die. And so they'll they'll kill out all the roaches. No more roaches. All the roaches is dead. And no more disease... No more respiratory failure of these kids. And it works for a while. Until years later, they start noticing, well, some strange murders happen around the city. The CDC is called in. That's who they are that I'm referring to as they. And uh, they start noticing giant cockroach poop. 
etc. And from there, they discover eventually that there are these man-sized cockroaches who have adapted and actually taken a silhouette and somewhat uh, visage of a human person, you know, human face, shell over their mm-hmm. actual it's like it's like there's uh, bugs that disguise themselves in various ways you put a moth on a piece of bark and you can't see it type of thing and then they have to go find it and hunt the nest but it's only like four people doing this as opposed to aliens which is like a squadron you know right but this does take a little bit of hints from the alien franchise i kind of knew it as a- it doesn't help that charles s dutton is so heavily in this movie because all you keep thinking is oh didn't he die just like this in aliens 3 <laughs> isn't this exactly him screaming the same way kind of i, I feel like they, i love charles s dutton he's a great actor and I, sadly i don't see him anymore but i feel like they should have cast somebody else well what i really like about his character is that he's he's a working man who's just kind of he's had it with the the subway bs type of thing and that's just how his life is he's just like another damn thing to deal with right yeah it's kind of like his character rock yeah uh it made a movie (laughs) but jeremy northam the scientist he and dutton don't get along at all but throughout their adversity, they become all right with each other, and they respect each other quite eventually, but not not in the like last minute. It's like a good chunk of the film. They're they're really working with each other, and I actually like a development of a relationship like that. That's important to me actually when I watch a movie or in life. Oh yeah, that you actually start to see a development that seems well you know the problem the problem with a lot of horror movies a lot of actually genre films period is that they don't take time to get to know the characters that's what disney is doing right with the marvel franchise which warner brothers is screwing up with the dc franchise but i was watching krampus last night and you spent a half hour getting to know these people before everything starts to turn and this is exactly how you should do it don't i mean and it doesn't have to be boring i mean as long as there's stuff being developed with the, between these characters it's good dialogue good acting and the story is advancing you're not just filling time then you start to care right well del toro didn't really get to do i mean he did but meddling behind the scenes and finally his director's cut his director's cut i'm i'm thinking it's probably like 80 percent of what he actually wanted to do but wasn't able yeah, I don't to know. do i don't know if it was, set, yeah you know so if you're gonna watch the movie i'd just say go ahead and get the box set it's cheap oh definitely it's don't cheap. don't then the the, the the regular version's fine but the director's cut just adds so much yeah more. and it's it, like you said it's cheap it's cheap. You get two extra movies, which mimic two. Remember how a lot of children were sick from a terrible disease spread by cockroaches? We created a new breed of insect we hoped would make the roaches die out. Four years ago, an experiment went terribly wrong. Not all of them died. Some of them kept on mutating. Now the experiment has come back. Run! Somebody tell me what that is! Don't jump! Don't jump! takes the assistant from the first movie. Mir Sorvino's in the first one as the other scientist. And her assistant is the lead in the sequel, Mimic 2. The actress playing the assistant is Alex Koromazi, which she's been in a few Dimension or Miramax films. She was in the remake by the same director of the original, Nightwatch. Oh, yeah. Uh, another movie chopped up. There's a couple movies that Dimension has chopped up, that which I, I, nobody seems to be able to find the director's cut or, no, or care. I want to see the director's cut of Nightwatch, and I also want to see the director's cut of, I know everybody hates this, but Texas Rangers. It's an 88-minute <laughs> movie. 
88 minutes, but it was originally 128. Come on, don't tell me that there was something better somewhere in there that could have made that a, a, a better movie. I know, I know why you want to see it. I said better too many times. I know Sorry. you want to see it. Huh? I don't know why you want to see it, but I mean, the cast. I like Western. I know, but the cast, man. The cast seems to be the so? problem for me. But, no, I'm fine with but yeah, Nightwatch. I love that version of Nightwatch that was released, so I can't imagine, because I've seen both versions and they're quite similar they're very quite similar oh, okay so maybe there was i heard that there was cut up I, so. I don't know how cut up it was it might have been because um it's a very messed up film so it could have teetered into nc-17 territory so she is the assistant to mira sorvino and she's now a school teacher years later and it's set in the same yeah, universe it's not yeah, yeah I, I hate it when you see a sequel and this was like a plague once the 90s hit is when there was a sequel they had to just go well let's just clean the slate let's just take the concept mm-hmm. and sequelize it but it seemed like during the 80s they were like well people want to see at least something connected to like well short circuit 2 you know they'd have a couple characters come over they would do that there'd be some sort of universe connection instead of just a blank slate sequel which always drove me nuts in name only i guess is what you would refer to as right um so i do enjoy the fact that even though she was a minor character in the first movie that she's brought to the forefront it's still part of that world and it seems to be it's it's kind of in a way a siege film and it works. It's a, it's a smaller film. It works. It's not as visually interesting, though there's a scene where one of the mimic roaches is crawling uh, on the ceiling, and the camera pushes through some hanging fluorescent lights, and that's like, it's so brief, but that I'm like, that scene works. That's really good. All of these movies, each one of them has some sort of substance, which is interesting that they could do this with this. I didn't expect Mimic 2 to do this, have any sort of thing that I was like, all right, okay, I'm cool with this. I it did. Well, you also have to you have to expand upon the mythos. When you make sequels that are just repetitious, like the Jason movies, you're you're barely ever adding anything to the mythos. You're you're not advancing the creature's powers. That's what the Tremors movies do. Um, right is that they keep moving it forward instead of repeating themselves. And I think Mimic 2 does a very good job of that. Right. It does a bad job in that it seems like it's a bunch of Canadian actors it's probably not but it just what are you talking about <laughs> hey no i'm just talking about how weird canada low budget movies are you know my old gripe and that's what this sort of seems like these are definitely not a-list actors they're not b-list yeah. necessarily no these are tv people or you know supporting at best in lower budget movies. yeah yeah this is uh i would say d-level one of them, the date that she goes on with that kind of sleazy guy, that kind of... Oh, yeah, I see him all the time. He's yeah. he's in the new Punisher series, so... Is he? Yeah, in a, in a major part. Antagonist, of course, because it's the only thing that the guy can play. And he gets taken out by, randomly, and this is kind of a funny scene where he just keeps getting sucker punched by a bug. You don't even see what the bug is, but he's standing there, and he's trying to go home with her, and she's like, see ya. She gets on her bike and rides off, and he's like, what? And then he keeps getting sucker punched by the bug from off camera like from side camera so you never see the bug punch him but you know something's happening to him and then he gets pulled away but eventually instead of the first mimic film which just had a, a facade a shell facade these mimics it's revealed that they can actually mimic quite closely Flesh. a human yeah like much more so than just a silhouette because a detective at, at one point, you think that he's saved the woman, but they get back to her place and it's actually a bug that looks a lot like the detective, except how they do the special effect is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's gooey. Yeah, but it's like a clear mask over a person's face. 
So you, see, but it's gooey underneath that. So it's just yeah, really yeah. interesting effect. I like this one. I don't really care for the third one. I do I've like the third one. It. I like the third one. Yeah, but <laughs> well, it's what you said. Again. I know. It's I guess. But what you said is that you spend time with the characters to get to know them. That's true. And every one of these movies, except for the original cut of the first one, you spend time with the characters to get to know them. In the first one, you spend time and you hear hints of them wanting to have a child. And eventually, in the director's cut, you get an expanded version of that. I don't even think it was even mentioned in the original that they were going to have a kid. No, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I don't, when she, they were talking about it, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I don't right? remember any of this. So so that child through line is, is something that gives us more depth and gravitas and, of course, plays on our paternal instincts. Even if you don't have a kid, you don't want a baby, a potential life to be done away with, especially if you want the kid, right? So danger... And it gives depth to those characters. In Mimic 2, you have her sort of being a mother figure, or at least a teacher, a mentor to a kid. And her love life isn't necessarily soap opera-like, but she does have moments with the detective. And then, of course, Edward Albert shows up as the CBC I, I, I guy. I forgot about that. Yeah, but he... <laughs> I swear, it's Edward Albert doing ray wise yeah you know what those two are very sadly edward albert's dead but yeah they're almost interchangeable at times but ray wise was the more eccentric yeah, version definitely. of edward albert. albert edward albert had the curse of being too bland and and that's a shame because he's not that bad of an actor but he's just so what do you call it milk toast I don't even oh he, he could be but he he here it's just the presentation of his voice not what he looks like every time i was looking away from the screen for whatever reason and he was speaking i was like that it sounds like Ray Wise. It sounds like Ray Wise playing it straight. And then I look back and it's Edward Albert and I'm like, what? Okay, that's fun. Yeah, there's a few names in this. It feels like every sci-fi and horror movie at this time had Lance Henriksen in it. That went straight to video, I mean. Alright, so this is the third one. With a terrifying discovery deep beneath the city. That egg is one of thousands underground. The tale of horror continues. They adapt. That's how we made them. They don't have to be any bigger or stronger. So they got smarter. Third one has Lance Henriksen as what? What is he? Is he a freelance CDC bug catcher? What is he? That, that it seems like, yeah, he's like a mercenary. All right. So the second one had this, they should be dead, but they're not. And the third one is even farther removed from that. And it's... It focuses on a shut-in, a guy who is a photographer from afar. He has a telephoto lens and he spies on his neighborhood and takes interesting photos and makes big photo collage of it. But he is a survivor of that disease, but he still has the asthma problem. He's not dead from the disease now, he's just been you know, hurt. Like a person who was once in an iron lung. That sort of thing. Yeah. And his sister is really flippant and she knows that he, he spies on the neighborhood and particularly likes one specific girl. So this is the weird stuff in the story that's like, huh? She invites that woman up to meet her brother. It's just this whole situation. It works like a play, but it's very strange. Certain things are really strange in this film. That the girl that he likes isn't immediately creeped out by him and is more fascinated by his collage wall with photos even of her. That's very strange writing to me. But it's also not a cliche. I know it's not how normal people would behave, but it also is just a unique approach because there's there's some lazy writers out there and they would have gone for the, ooh, I'm creeped out, you, you freak show. 
Oh kind yeah, of reaction. Right, right. So maybe it shows a little bit of more openness to this one character, which is interesting, and where most of us are not that open, even though we say we are. So this movie is directed by J.T. Petty. Do you know who that guy is? You know, I looked it up and I can't even remember now what he directed. But he directed something else. I like. Was it Dust Till Dawn three? No. What? He directed a movie called Soft for Digging. Don't know what that is. Mimic nope. three. S. And man, it's actually S ampersand man. So it's Sandman. It's a documentary. In uh-huh. 2006, he directed a documentary. It's a fake documentary about a guy who makes really creepy movies. And he goes to horror conventions where, you know, B- Bill Zebub releases his movies there. You know, that is Bill Zebub. No. Like the bottom of the barrel horror schlock where it's basically just porn with gore in it. And Sandman. That is a guy that tries to make movies and he's just a, a stalker creep and it's actually just a serial killer movie in the guise of a documentary. And it's not that gory whatever. But then in 2008, he actually gets money and makes a movie called The Burrowers. Yeah, I've seen this one. This is good. Yeah, Brewers isn't bad. It's a little little slow, but it's not bad. And it's actually got a good cast. And the next one I think you liked, and I did not. It's called Hellbenders. Nope. I tried watching about 10 minutes of it, and I thought it was so pretentious, bullshit. Like, aren't we so cool kind of filmmaking? No, I tried watching it, and I was like, uh, like, like, uh, like the Boondock Saints of horror movies? Yep. Okay, not the greatest movie, Hellbenders. And he hasn't made a movie since then, but he has worked on and this is where i think his bread and butter is now video games yeah right scripts for video games most notably outlast i don't know what that is outlast is an incredible video game in which all you have is a camera and maybe a flashlight but i think you only have the camera and you're in an insane asylum that is dilapidated and the lunatics have taken over the asylum and they're monstrous and there's also a crazy skinless mad scientist doctor that is also chasing you and it is a terrifying game because it's set in the dark and all you have is this viewfinder and your battery constantly dies oh great yeah, I haven't. Uh, I stepped out of video games with Borderlands 2. What was that, four years ago? That's the last time I played a new game. So this came out like in 20, 2013 is when this came out. Oh, well, it was and, right at the end then. But yeah. I just been, I'm an old school gamer. I like platformers, man. I like uh, above-the-head shooters, you know? Right. Um, well, he I, then did a Walking Dead Season 2. I don't know what video game that is, but... Oh, Telltale Games. They do the old-style point-and-click games just with extremely good graphics and really well-written uh, stories. Uh, gotcha. They did the Back to the Future, and they did, uh, oh, I think, a Wolf Among Us or something like that. But yeah. they do the Walking Dead games. So this year he released Outlast 2, which I haven't played. But if it's anything like the first one, it's terrifying. Nerve-wracking. So he's not a one-trick pony, which is good. And here, the thing that really he did the worst is the titles. Because he's tilting his hand. He used a font that is supposed to look like a Saul Bass font. Because, of course, he's referencing in this entire movie what you said, rear window. Tired, done to death. But if you can do it okay, then it's gonna be interesting at least. And that's what this movie is. It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's still a little slow. The rear window concept is good in it. But the fact it's been done so many times, we're at the point now where we're getting derivatives of derivatives, where Fright Night was a love letter to Hammer Films and Rear Window, and then you have Never Cry Werewolf, which is a ripoff of Fright Night, <laughs> so you're, you're ripping off a ripoff, or an homage. What's the word to use these days? Because sometimes it is an homage, Remix. and sometimes it's just a straight-up ripoff. It's remixing. 
Kind of. Everything's yeah. a remix. It's not like Transmorphers where it's obvious or snakes on a train. <laughs> so I really do like his approach. It could have been tighter. It could have been faster. Yeah. It could have been less. But then you'd have a 60-minute movie. I mean, Miramax, obviously, yeah. this is when they really start experimenting with direct-to-video sequels. Like, this had enough of a an audience that, you know, there's a following, but we can't exactly make another movie for the theaters. They, they, they did that for the first time, I think, with... It was either Children of the Corn or Prophecy. I can't remember which one they started sequelizing first to video. But, you know, they knew, well, we have this much percentage. This made this cost $25 million. It made $25 million. We can't afford to do another one for the theaters, but we have a direct-to-video. So let's just shoot two back-to-back, which is what they did a lot. Yeah. Well, I thought I would really not like the two sequels to Mimic. And I like them okay each. I like two you know? better than three. Yeah. I know it's just been done to death, the rear window, so that really hinders it. Well, I me. also think the two moves faster. It adds more to the mythology. There's good effects. You know, it's not scraping the bottom of the barrel. You know, there's only like two effect sequences in Mimic, I think. Or Mimic 3, I mean. Yeah, um, there's not really too many effects stuff. It's just towards the end. Oh, but, but they're actually, I think they're practical this time. All the way. I don't think they do any CG in it. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I apologize, everybody. This is a shorter episode than usual, and I'm kind of out of it. I work retail. <laughs> I work retail, it's and they are right. beating the absolute crap out of me the last month. And so look, that's why my voice I think is there's... shot. I'm yelling at everybody. My voice is done. I think that's all we can actually say about these movies, other than just watch them and see for yourself what you think of them. But we said the most about the first one, which is what the first one warrants you know yeah oh i mean well i was also just kind of saying that because last month's episode i focused on two movies january will be back um with a normal episode hopefully my energy will be revived by then and my voice will come back well you don't sound bad so it's it's scratchy i'm forcing i'm trying hard well don't hurt yourself on that note everybody uh check out the big bugs have a good 2018 i just dated us how dare you son of a (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we mentioned the 20th anniversary of Mimic, so I think we're good. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Good night, everyone. Video night. What are you talking about? <laughs>